If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Matthew 16, 18. One of the most argued about verses in the whole book of the Bible. Uh, as we look at our text today, we're going to talk about the founding of the church. This is a real important topic. <clears throat> we want to follow it up uh, through history uh, till today. Matthew 16, 18 says, Upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus is speaking. He's talking to the Apostle Peter. The religious institution of the Jewish hierarchy crucified its own Messiah. The old covenant died, and Jesus brought into being out of death a new covenant people, his church. It is the church of Jesus Christ which carries out his mission of redemption in the world today. She is a colony of heaven. That's what we are, a colony of heaven, a beachhead on the alien shore of this hostile earth. In spite of sins and doubts and human blunders, she is the mighty instrument of God's redemptive purpose. Redemption is wrought in and through the community of faith because redemption is God bringing rebellious man into fellowship, first of all, with himself and then with others, the folks that are around them. God has no other plan than the church. That is the plan. That plan has never changed and is never going to change. We're going to stay right on that boat all the way until the end of time. The church of Jesus Christ was already being anticipated when the master was walking along the seaside of the Sea of Galilee. He called for some fishermen to drop down their nets and to follow him. And he was going to teach them and help them to be all that they ought to be. That is exactly when the church started. When those men laid down their nets and followed Jesus. That's what uh, disciples do. Disciples are following Jesus. But they had a long way to go, of course, before they knew what discipleship really meant. This was the first step in that direction. It was not until the climactic moment at Caesarea Philippi when one of the disciples would say, We actually confess Jesus as Messiah and Lord. In the deepest sense, the church became organized at this place, at that time, the point where disciples were led by the Heavenly Father to confess Jesus as Messiah and as Son of God. At that very moment, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. Now, this does not mean that he will build the church at some future date. That's not what it means. The building of his church was begun 
as soon as the Apostle Peter said this. When he said our text for the morning, it came about. He became a living stone to lay down on the foundation for his whole life, his whole destiny. Let me make something perfectly clear. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. It will always be Jesus forever and ever. He is the foundation stone. Jesus the Christ. Because it's such a vital importance to the understanding of the church, the passage in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, must be uh, set out. This talks about the ecclesia, the church of Jesus Christ, those that have been called out to follow him. There's only two times when this word, ecclesia, is used in the Bible. In Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. But it's a very, very important word. Because it describes what we are about today. The church is made up of those who are called out. Called out for Christ's redemptive mission in the world. When Jesus says, my church. He is contrasting the group that gathered around him that he had called out with the old Galhal, which is the assembly uh, of the Jewish people prior uh, to this. It would be impossible to know the exaltation of Jesus' spirit when Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was the moment, the very moment, that Jesus had been waiting for all these years. All his patient teaching and living before the disciples had been pointing toward this, this statement that was made, that they might confess him as their Savior and as their Lord. He could not simply declare his Messiahship and command everybody to believe it, Faith doesn't work that way. Faith begins in your heart and it grows throughout until you commit yourself to him. Only when the heavenly father was able to lead the disciples to the point where they recognized Jesus and confessed him had the purpose of Jesus been achieved. You are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. That's what he said to Peter after his profession of faith. Now, this verse has probably been discussed and argued about as much as almost any verse in the whole Bible. If you listen real closely today and you get all the T's crossed and all the periods in the right place, You'll be able to explain this to somebody and they will say to you, I've been wondering about that all my life. And they'll think you are a scholar. You are a scholar in the word of God if you can explain that verse. Well, I'm going to walk through it uh, with you this morning. And hopefully this will answer some questions that maybe some of you have. In the Greek rendering of his words, which more and more of the great scholars down through the years are accepting 
is authentic, things are abundantly clear. When Jesus says, you are Petros, he says this to Peter, it means you are a rock. That's the literal translation. You are a stone. He leaves out the definite article. That is very, very important. If he said, you are the stone, that would have changed everything. But he didn't say that. He said, you are a stone. The word petros is a a word for a building stone, a stone like millions and trillions of other stones. In other words, Peter is the one, one of the stones that will be built into this living building of the church. Exactly as Peter himself says it in his own epistle. Now, if you need to proof text what you have explained to this point, and somebody's arguing about it with you, tell them to turn to 1 Peter 2.5. You might, in fact, want to write that out beside Matthew 16.18. Write out there 1 Peter 2.5. Because Peter understood it in the right way, and he says it in the right way, In his own epistle. Then Jesus shifts person from the second person, Peter, to whom he is speaking, to the third. He says, upon this ledge of rock, and this word here is Petra. It's not Petros, which means a stone. This is Petra. It is absolutely clear that this cannot refer to Simon Peter. Because Jesus changes from addressing Peter to referring to something else. He shifts from a stone, Petros, to a ledge rock foundation. A huge, huge stone, Petra. He also shifts from function. From a stone which rests on its foundation to the foundation itself. The only real question remaining is the identification of the phrase, this Petra, the foundation stone. Because the word this is in there, it cannot refer to Peter, who is called thou in the very same sentence, the person addressed. But this must have an antecedent in the immediate context. Going back to the immediately preceding sentence, we find Jesus saying that his father revealed something to Simon. What is the something that the heavenly father revealed to Simon? It is the fact that Jesus is the Christ. That's what he had told him. This is the foundation of the church. Perhaps the most conclusive proof of this interpretation is the fact that Peter himself understood it in this way. Now, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, uh, just four verses there, really lay it out very clearly, very plainly. Some will argue with you until they pass out. 
that uh, the Apostle Peter was the first pope. Well, that is not true. Uh, Chronologically or emphatically, that is uh, not true. Christ was the stone which the builders rejected. He was rejected. But which God made the chief cornerstone, the very stone upon which the entire building would depend the entire church through all the ages up to this very moment and for all of those moments that are ahead of us. When Jesus added that the gates of Hades would not prevail against his church, he was saying that the very powers of death would not be able to withstand the attack on the church. By the church's message and her redemptive mission, In the world, she would be set free unto eternal life. This is what Jesus means by giving to Peter and to all who believe, to all who believe, the keys of the kingdom. That is, the message of Christ as Savior and Lord, by which the doorway is opened to the true believers. The book, The Acts of the Apostles, is the story of the New Testament church in action. Some time has passed since the confession at Caesarea Philippi. As we begin in the book of Acts, we see that the people of God, the children of God, are getting together. We find the apostles continuing with one accord in prayer. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if every church in America would continue in one accord? Everybody thinks the same thing. Everybody believes in the same way. Well, these apostles that gathered on the day of Pentecost, they were with one accord. Jesus said that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place when the Holy Spirit came upon them in a mighty, mighty power. And they began to speak in other languages about Jesus. I wish that had happened to me when I started French (laughs) and Greek and Hebrew. But it didn't start that way. I had to learn all those languages. Well, the foremost characteristic of this church is its dynamic unity. It was together on everything. It is bound together in prayer in the selection of a successor to Judas. Membership in this community was actual presence and participation in the prayer in the witnessing, in the fellowship, in the common life of the community, the community of believers that worked as one single unit. Membership is active participation in the living fellowship of the church. If illness or other providential hindrance prevents participation in the church, in the group, in the Sunday school class, whatever it is, It is the duty and the privilege of the church 
to come and visit the sick and to visit the shut-ins and minister to them. This is exactly the clue to the dynamic life of the church in this first century. Its members shared a common life in Christ. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God that came upon them. This is the church that Jesus built. And he continues to build. Today, the gospel is being preached all around the world. Today, there are millions of people that are trusting and believing in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today in America, as the times change hour by hour, the invitation will be given. And people will say, I believe that. I believe what the pastor has said. I'm going to give my life, my heart, my destiny to him. Christ's church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, began to proclaim the story of Jesus. So the pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And what was a miracle of speaking or of hearing or of both? They witnessed to men from all of the countries around the Mediterranean Sea. This characteristic of the church never waned. In the New Testament period, its whole reason for existence was to declare the marvelous story of redemption in Jesus Christ, to receive those who responded to their word, and they would baptize them, they would continue teaching them the apostles' doctrine, fellowshipping together, breaking the bread together, which we're going to do in just a moment. And the prayers that were together. In other words, the church never exists apart from an actual fellowship of Christian believers. The so-called local church. This is a local church. Yet this fellowship is not only local. It knows oneness with Christ who is universal. Cindy and I have traveled uh, a lot over the years. When we were in a distant country and we would find a church on Sunday morning, we'd go in there. There was an immediate rapport with the people that were there. And it's because we all had the same Heavenly Father. It's because we all had the same Savior. It's because we all had studied the same book. And there was a camaraderie that almost uh, immediately was obvious. This fellowship is not only local. It knows oneness with Christ who is universal and brotherhood brotherhood with all who are truly in Christ Jesus. It is high time that this dynamic concept of the church and the book of Acts should be recovered and renewed in this very day all around the world. It would disqualify most of the organizations which masquerade under the name of a church. They're not a church. But it would clarify the witness of the true churches in a brilliant way. The church in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament is a gathered community. That's what it is. 
It is a Christian discipleship group empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming salvation in Jesus' name. The church baptizes those who have received the word of God, instructing them in the apostles' doctrine, binding them in a common fellowship, breaking bread together in the Lord's Supper, and continuing in the discipline of prayer and worship. This is the dynamic life of the church in Acts 2 and throughout the entire book and throughout the entire New Testament. Today, of course, our hope and prayer is that everyone that comes through our doors knows and loves and serves the Lord Jesus. Every once in a while, someone comes, maybe for the first time, maybe the tenth, maybe the hundredth time, but you've never made a public profession of your faith in Christ. Today would be the day that the wonderful promises of the Word of God would come to you if you yielded yourself to Him, made Him the boss, if you will, of your life, made Him the one that you worship, the one that you love. We're going to give an invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If the Lord is tugging at your heart, if the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to step forward, don't hesitate. Just step forward. Take a stand for Christ. If you're here, you've been visiting with us for a period of time. This is a great time for you to come and join the church. Be a part of the family of God. The local identity of the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a hymn. We hope and pray that you would come. Let's stand together. Mm -hmm.